0: Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack?
1: We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the earth.
0: And we're here to save it, one podcast at a time.
1: Welcome to another episode of Kenyana and Jack Save the World. As you probably already know, I'm Kenyana, and with me, as always, is the reliable and relatable Jack. How are you doing what? today, Jack? I'm
0: doing all right. Doing all right. How are you today?
1: I'm hanging in there. The world is nuts, but I'm hanging in there.
0: That's mm. putting it mildly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's always fun watching the news and thinking, Wow. World War Three might be starting.
1: Well, as long as I can get stocked up on Reese's peanut butter cups, I'll be fine.
0: Yeah, sadly, I can't eat those anymore.
1: What?
0: Yeah, somebody done went and got type two diabetes. Well,
1: clearly, that must be managed. So, yes. Mm. I will say them no more.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I did it to myself. Years of 10 p.m. Oreos and not exercising.
1: Well, I mean, it is something that nowadays it can be kept
0: under control. So there's the good thing. That's true. And it's early enough. I exercise, lose weight, maintain the diet. I can, well, I can't reverse it, but I can get it where I don't need the medication. Right. So, mm-hmm. There's that. There's that. So that's what we're going to look forward to. Definitely. Yep. So eat those Reese's for me because they're my favorite.
1: I can't say much because I'll say it to the world. I still smoke, so I can't say anything about anybody.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's that. Yeah. One day.
0: yeah. One day. Smoking. I smoked for many years. It's my heroin. Mm. I, I'm not a like go to the party and oh hey, I'm having a drink. Let's smoke a cigarette. I am either a pack a day smoker or not a smoker. There's no in between. It's my heroin.
1: Interesting. Interesting. So, so somewhere in here, I'm going to stop for good. I've only stopped twice since I started it close to 19 when I started. I've only stopped twice and I found out I was pregnant. And mm. again, um, well, actually, that was the second time. The first time was about a week, maybe a week and a half or so after I broke my nose in a car accident and I was doped up and didn't know it didn't know the ceiling from the floor, so
0: <laughs> Wow otherwise, I'm, yeah. I don't see, honestly, the price of cigarettes are insane, and I'm mm-hmm. cheap.
1: i wish it I wish that were enough but something's going to give here very soon. I feel it. I don't want anybody listening to this, quoting me. Hi, mom. I don't want anybody (laughs) quoting me. I I feel, I feel there's going to be a change in the wind soon though. Okay. All right. I'm here for you. Thank you. 2022 is a long year. So
0: yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. Well, Um, moving on from that, Mm-hmm. Exciting, fun, happy, cheerful show opener.
1: Yay, our personal health issues. Yeah. Oh,
0: Yay. Sorry. <laughs> What's your uh, WTF of the week?
1: Um I think we mentioned this last episode. We are not gonna run short of these. No. For a very long time because there's always some display of human foolishness. Yeah. Whether it's what it's political or legal or social there's always going to be someone showing their ass so this week i have selected a father and son out of brookhaven mississippi who when a fedex driver attempted to deliver a package to a home there in the neighborhood he had just dropped the package off in the evening of january the 24th and he saw a pickup truck coming towards him from a neighbor's house mm-hmm. so he's pulling he's pulled into the driveway he's pulling back out and he sees the truck approach him he's trying to leave the driveway with the the driver has blocked him in the driveway so the driver likes because he can't back out so he gets up on the grass gets back on the road hits the gas to get out of the neighborhood because he has no idea what's happening. Mm-hmm. He goes, you know, a little ways down the street. There's somebody else in the middle of the road pointing a gun at his window and telling him to stop. And of course, he's not stopping because there's a man in the gun in the road with a gun. So he swerves what? around him, keeps going, and he ends up reporting to uh, dispatch telling them what happened. And Come to find out these two Yahoos, father and son, uh, like I mentioned. Um, I believe the father was driving the pickup truck, which the son got into once the FedEx driver had gotten around the truck and was going down the street and swerved around the guy in the street. That was the son. The son gets in the truck with Daddy O. They follow him out several miles uh throughout the town. He gets back to the FedEx station. They find bullet holes in oh my the back God. of the truck and in some of the, they had gone through the back door and into some of the packages. And mind you, uh, the young man was dressed in his FedEx uniform, but he was driving a rental Hertz truck, which I have seen some of them do in my neighborhood.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So yeah, here's the fun part by the, the young man goes, uh, the next day, I think he goes with his manager to report it to the Brookhaven police the father and son were charged i think see who's who like it matters who's who mm-hmm. um, the father gregory case was charged with conspiracy the son brandon was charged with shooting into a motor vehicle and mm-hmm. they have i believe at this time the latest i think i had read i think they both made bail but you mean to tell me they charged him with that they shot at his truck yeah and that's all you charge them with. Are you kidding me? did that, they not Did they not learn anything by nearby Georgia? Did they not learn from that story?
0: Then? No they <clears throat> didn't. First of all, if you see a dude in FedEx ups, Amazon clothing, mm-hmm. there's a solid chance they work for them. Mm-hmm. Two, deliveries in today's world because of online shopping is so great, no delivery company. Can get by without rentals, mm-hmm. right? We've all seen it, right? Third of all, <laughs> I, I, I lost track of my of alls. <laughs> Once again, as you just said, Georgia, did they did they not learn nothing? They learn nothing. Quit being vigilantes. Yes. And and best... if... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say something. Sort of similar happened here. Uh, there was a gated community. A UPS driver went to, you know, deliver packages. As UPS drivers tend to do. Sure. He was in his uniform and his big brown UPS truck <laughs> goes in, making his deliveries, goes to mm-hmm. leave. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, rich dude is telling him how he'd, doesn't need the criminal element driving in there. Basically, it's because the driver was black. It was mm-hmm. incredibly racist. And mm-hmm. the UPS driver just whipped out his phone and recorded the whole thing. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, go ahead, dude. And I was like, oh my god, freaking stop. Just stop. Stop Stop, stop stop, it. stop,
1: stop, stop, stop. And here's the thing I wonder about this particular case is they were severely undercharged, for one, by the local police. Yeah. But it, always, it also makes me wonder if this is something that will get looked into as a possible hate crime. Because in order to prove a hate crime, you have to verify that the victim was targeted because of their race or religion or sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wonder if they're are they going to be able to prove it if that was the case. And honestly, me being me. I can't really see this as anything else but that, but right. they have to be able to prove it. So I wonder, and this this is the other thing I found interesting as I was, because I saw this story last week, early last week. And um, as I looked, um, I looked it up again just to see if there were further developments about it. It doesn't look like it's being reported on major news outlets yeah Yeah, mostly local ones of course the ones in Mississippi and um outlets around Mississippi and of course the closest um uh like newspapers or news channels or things of that nature in the local area so Mm -hmm. I'm like this didn't make national news seriously huh so I mean what has to happen here for if this particular story takes off somehow and gets wider spread. I wonder if that will be the impetus to make the authorities charge them appropriately. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: you charge them with conspiracy. What is that? They literally tried to force him to stop. Once again, I guess they had the idea that somebody was in a neighborhood that shouldn't have been. Heaven forbid. But you try right. to get him to stop. And you, you have a gun in his face. Let's, let's try this again. No one is stopping for you when you point a weapon at him. Yeah. No one's stopping. Yeah. And to think that you have the, was it, testicular fortitude? Yeah. To stand in the middle of the road and demand somebody to stop and point a weapon at him as though that's all that's needed is that's like, that's automatically gives you sole authority to question who and why and what is in the neighborhood. Are you kidding me? You learn nothing, nothing, nothing. Nope. So I'll be, I'll be, I'm going to follow this one. I'll be interested to see where it goes goes. and if these men are charged appropriately, even if it, and and even if it doesn't end up as, you know, a federal hate crime, they need to be charged appropriately at the local level because that is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Told you. That's out here. Quit playing vigilante white people. I say that as a person of whiteness. (laughs) somebody got to tell him yeah
1: somebody got to tell
0: him so. as, as we've discussed before having my dna results i mm-hmm. am as white as they come <laughs> and that's fine It absolutely is the but world somebody, needs many many kind, many kinds
1: it does but you got to tell the rest of your brethren in
0: this country and get over it
1: i mean you know if i say it i'm just i'm just whining or as they said in Game of Thrones, "winging," right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, there's my
0: story. What do go. you have for us this week? Well, the the man-child that was our former president mm-hmm. had been told the entire time of his presidency that it is against the law. There is a law that has been passed. As president, you cannot tear up any sort of official government document or any document that comes through the white house mm-hmm. you cannot do it it has to be saved for records when you leave trump would tear them up all the time he would be told sir you can't do that he'd keep tearing them up if he had meetings that he didn't want other people to hear so it wasn't official he'd apparently go and have them in the Bedroom of the president because I guess that wasn't legal. And then, of course, he would tear stuff up and throw it away. It happened so much that the White House either shifted some two people's jobs or hired two people whose sole job was after he tore shit up, they'd come and pick up the trash, make it look like it was janitorial, take it, and their sole job was to tape the papers back together. Oh, my God. But wait, there's more. There always is. In January, the whatever the government agency that keeps records should know they've been in the news lately due to lawsuits. They had to go to the Trump residency at Mar-a-Lago and get 10 boxes of records that he illegally had taken with him. Apparently, there was also documents that if Trump really didn't want to get out, he would burn. Mm. But wait, there's more. Mm -hmm. To quote Robert Evans from Behind the Bastards, it gets worse. Mm. Apparently, on one or two occasions, he tore them up and ate them. I'm sorry, what? Ate them. As in consumed? As in put them in his mouth, chewed it up, and swallowed. I'm sorry. Just give me a sec.
1: Yeah. I did hear about him removing the documents. I heard that. This? I did not hear about. Um, Oh. Children do that. Little children do that. Yeah. Or spies in really bad espionage thriller movies.
0: Yeah. Yep. I think he's just closer to a child, so we'll go with that. Well, yeah. (laughs) And I find it funny because what was two Saturdays ago, he had the rally in Texas.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: he made some mention of Hillary. Because, of course, remember, she had the email issues on the private server that was... Mm -hmm big part of what got him elected Mm. and the crowd started yelling a la 2016 lock her up lock her up lock her up and the irony is that while what she did was also not appropriate Mm -hmm. this man broke the law on multiple occasions was told multiple times you can't do that Continued to do it to the point to where they had to par- hire people to tape shit back up. Right? The crappiest detail
1: known to man.
0: If if you can't respect mm. what, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of roles of the president, is a small thing, a small law, right? You know, I'm not judging anybody who speeds. We all break that law. Mm but you're the president. You've been told, sir, you can't do this. This is against the law. This is the law. And you keep doing it. But bigger laws, does he not respect?
1: I, I'm going to say, and not that I necessarily want to spend a whole lot of time thinking about the things that go on in his lizard brain. But to me, I feel like the mere fact that he got elected... Makes everything else after that possible and plausible and completely acceptable for him mm-hmm. as far as he's concerned. Like if he got away with the biggest heist, and it really wasn't a heist because he legitimately had people that voted for him. 2016 wasn't a steal, it was a farce, it was a circus. But it wasn't a steal. So he mm-hmm. legitimately had people electing him into office. And I guess he figured since I pulled that off, I can pull off any damn thing I want to. And I think that's exactly what he proceeded to do for the next four years. Yeah. Anything he wanted to. And okay. because, and I learned this little tidbit, this little catch 22 when I watched a movie called Vice
0: mm-hmm. about
1: um, former Vice President uh, Dick Cheney. hmm very good job by Christian Bale, by the way. Anyway, they make a. Uh, there's a scene in there when they're talking about what's considered lawful if the president does it, and the thing this this was their thinking: the president can't do anything illegal. So if the president does it, it's not illegal, no right. matter what it is. So yeah. I think I think he was maybe his little lizard brain. Heard that some way, or had one of his weird little lackeys whisper in his ear, Well, if you know, you're everything you do is within the law, but you're above the law, so anything you do is mm-hmm. legal, no matter what it is. Does that
0: which discount, is completely goes against the constitution? You know, that, the, that the ideals that you know are sort of <laughs> the founding. You know, part of the ideals is that no one's above the law. Mm-hmm. I know in practice that doesn't happen, but uh, didn't turn out too well for Nixon. Is but, it did not. But, yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. He clearly thought he could do whatever he wanted because mm-hmm. he was that way before. Mm-hmm. Beforehand.
1: And he managed the biggest okey-doke in his entire silly entitled life by winning the presidency. And so from there, from there on out, nothing was
0: off limits. I have a theory that Trump was as surprised by him winning the Republican nomination as Democrats were. hmm I agree. I I think he was running to come in second or third mm-hmm. because he thought it would help his businesses. Because there was a point where All of a sudden, it was like, holy shit, I might win this thing. And Mm -hmm. even when he was going against Hillary, I don't think he thought he would win. Mm -hmm. And somewhere around a week or two before the debate started in September, all of a sudden, I think it occurred to him, I have a chance. Because you'll notice that's sort of when he like, ramped up his personal part of it. Mm -hmm. And I think he was acting before then.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I remember, I can't remember who I was talking to. It might have been my um, parents or something. But I remember saying that I'm like, I think he just started this out as a joke, just to see how far he could get. And then, you know, like you said, we got to a certain point. He was like, wait a minute. This might just happen. Even though I have no idea what's going on. Even though I really don't want the job. Let's just see. And then it happened. And he's like, oh. Yep, he really could go out in the middle of New York City and shoot somebody dead and get away with it. Yep.
0: Yeah, he could Figur-
1: figuratively. That's that's pretty much he, pretty much what he did over and over and over
0: again. People just kept coming back. Well, he proved he could fill, kill five hundred thousand people. No one would care, or yeah. half the country wouldn't. Yeah, or they would just blame it on, you know, Fauci or the CDC right. or somebody else or the Chinese or so on and so forth. Mm. Yeah, and just since you mention him, conspiracy theory people, Fauci does not have any patents related to COVID. He does have patents. They're all related to HIV. You know how I know? Because it's all public records. <gasps> With the U.S. Patent Office. <gasps> you can go to this thing called the Internet. Uh-huh. They have a name, so you could put someone's name in, and if they've ever submitted a patent, it pops up. <gasps> All of them. Oh. Yeah. I, I know that's shocking. Clearly, it you're stunned. Yes, I am,
1: that you can find anything practically on the interwebs. This is astounding.
0: Yeah. I Get this. I went to the U.S. Patent Office website, Mm -hmm. and I searched for Dr. Fauci. That's how I know. His last patent, 2015. And it was in addition to an earlier patent, and it was all related to HIV slash AIDS. So the inference that he's
1: somehow trying to profit off all this or or caused it or both pretty much flies out the window if... You actually educate yourself on what he actually did. Right. Uh huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It is. Google is fantastic.
0: Anyway, I guess uh, we should move on since we've WTF'd for quite a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, it just.
0: Whew, it don't get no easier though. No.
1: No. Golly. Definitely doesn't. Mm. We're gonna have to lighten so. the mood after a while, I think.
0: Yeah, well, maybe hearing about the people I'm about to talk to will lighten the mood. Okay,
1: okay. I'll go with that. I'm ready. Okay.
0: Well, uh, before I start, I'm going to say I'm going to do two people today. I really wanted to talk about this first person because I think he's a really cool dude. But unfortunately, because of the time that he died in and everything, there's just not a whole lot about him. I mean, there are things about him on 50 websites, but it's almost all identical. Mm. (laughs) It's like five paragraphs.
1: Not a large plethora of information.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, However, I did find a YouTube video with some historical reenactors that reenact this person and his Um, (laughs) co-person. Anyway, and it's really cool. And I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes. Oh, goody. So, you you ready? I am ready, yes. Okay. I'm going to talk about James Herman Banning. He was born in 1900 and died in 1933. Mm. And he went by his middle name of Herman. J. Herm, as they called him back in the day. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they didn't call him that.
1: <laughs> I think somebody might have.
0: <laughs> yeah. He was the first grandmaster. Ah! rapper you know (laughs) back in the day oh gosh jay herman banning was born in Canton, oklahoma territory on november 5th 1900 to riley and cora banning riley banning became the owner of 160 acres of land near kingfisher in december 1903 through the homestead act james banning attended school in a small schoolhouse built by his parents on the family property he later head to Guthrie to attend Favor High School, graduating in 1918. His mom was a school teacher. I just wanted to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. So he moved to Ames, Iowa, in 1919, and studied electrical engineering at Iowa State College while operating the J.H. Banning auto repair shop in Ames. He owned this business from 1922 to 1928. In spring of nineteen twenty, he took his first airplane ride at an air circus that came to Iowa to perform. His passion for flight grew tremendously after that, and he took lessons from a World War I US Army aviator at Raymond Fisher's Flying Field in Des Moines, Iowa. Danning would eventually come to hold a mechanic certificate and pilot's license number thirteen twenty four, and he was the Sorry, the dog was barking. Hey, buddy. (laughs) Who knows with him? Um, Anyway, (laughs) pilot license number 1324, and he became the first African American aviator to obtain a license from the Department, the US Department of Commerce in 1926. Later in Texas, he obtained a transport pilot's license. In 1929, the Bessie Coleman Aero Club Aviation School for African-Americans was opened in Los Angeles, California, to honor Mm -hmm. the first African-American licensed woman pilot.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Banning left Iowa to take a job as the school's chief instructor. He was described as the most experienced African-American pilot at the time. He purchased his own biplane and named it Miss Ames. <laughs> Got Apparently, he loved Iowa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In 1932, Banning and Oklahoma City residents Thomas Cox Allen joined together to become the first African Americans to fly coast to coast. They left Los Angeles on September 18, 1932, and arrived at Long Island, New York, on October 9, 1932. They made the 3,300 mile trip. Over that 21-day period, with actual flight time of 42 hours, they were nicknamed the Flying Hobos as they had to stop along the route and raise money to buy gas, make repairs, and continue on their way. (laughs) When they reached New York, Mayor Jimmy Walker welcomed them with a key to the city. The Cotton Club in Harlem celebrated their accomplishment with performances by Duke Ellington and Cab Calloway. Yeah, that's pretty mm, cool. Yeah. It is, and huh. here's where it gets less cool. Oh. Bannon was killed in a plane crash at San Diego at a San Diego, California air show on February 5th, 1933. He was trying to earn enough money to, receive, to retrieve his cross country aircraft, which had been forced down and left in Hyattsville, Pennsylvania, after the famous flight. The irony of his death is that it came at the hand of prejudice. Because of his color, this experienced pilot was not allowed to fly the plane in the air show. And he was a passenger in another plane piloted by an aviation machinist mate second class from the San Diego Naval Air Station. And um, in the YouTube video that I'm going to attach, uh, they elaborately elaborated a little more on the on that and apparently at the air show no no one would let him borrow their plane and this guy said you can borrow my plane but i want to fly with you first and so the guy flew with uh, herman as the pilot or not the pilot the passenger but the passenger seat didn't have Uh, the uh, the stick to fly the plane you know a lot of biplanes the front and the back both had a stick to fly the plane this one did not (laughs) Hmm. and so the guy went up the plane stalled it started going down he wasn't an experienced pilot and it crashed killed banning but the other guy I guess had pretty severe injuries and the irony is If Banning was flying, a it probably wouldn't have stalled. But if it did, he was an experienced enough pilot that he probably would have known how to get it out of the stall. Right, and and that's how he died. Hmm. And I think that due to the time frame, that's why there's just not a whole lot about him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was kind of adopted him as a native son. That's where the historical reenactors are Mm -hmm. but i think that had he lived you know he could have done some wiley post charles Lindbergh type things i think so i i really do i'm i was
1: i was so delighted to hear and i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off that's fine go ahead um i was delighted to hear that he was involved with bessie coleman
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now that you've mentioned her name, I think that I've heard about her, you know, repeatedly, but she still remains one of those more quietly kept mm-hmm. uh, historical figures. I think she's, she's definitely worthy of one of our, you know, in-between episode posts as far as Googling her. And, mm-hmm. and for you guys listening, if you've never heard of Bessie Coleman, please look her up.
0: Oh, yeah. I read about hers. I was researching Herman Banning. Mm-hmm. And I considered her being my second person, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was a toss-up between uh, her and and the person I'm going to talk about. But yeah, I just I just think Herman Banning would have been a big deal. I agree. I
1: agree, and it's such a uh, it's such a shame that had it not been for. You know, all the things that were going on as they generally did back then, he would have had a chance to either fly himself or had the ability to avoid a fatal accident. But Mm -hmm. yeah, things being as they were and people being people, if that's what you really want to call those human beings that acted the way they did then. And that's we've talked about those kinds of things endlessly. So Mm -hmm. I won't I won't address too much. But just for that fact. Yeah, I think if he had lived longer, he would have he would have been a big deal. I think he probably would have had an opportunity to open a school himself, maybe. Yeah. Or you know, do a you know, as time went on and technology got better and, and better and better airplanes were invented, mm-hmm. uh, he probably would have had an opportunity to do a lot longer trips, a lot more spectacular things. I agree.
0: I. Yes. It sounds weird. I think he would have been the, Black Amelia Earhart, for lack of better terms. Maybe. Because it was rare for her at the time as a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a white woman at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that's the kind of per- uh, thing he would have done. And I'm pretty sure he would have got the flying around the world bug.
1: Oh, yeah. That's just what I was thinking of. He may have been one of the ones that did the trans-global, mm-hmm. transglobal trip. I-, I I believe that. If not him and maybe someone else, or he would have been, you know, inspiration for someone else who did do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's sad to to hear about a life cut so short and not just his life, but the opportunity that he probably would have had to influence countless other pilots.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, he needs to be a bigger deal. Yeah. definitely. Once again, someone else worthy of a movie.
1: Yeah. I would, I would love, to, you know what? I don't know who I could pitch this to cuz I I don't know about movies cuz if I did half of them that are that have been put out in the last 5 years wouldn't have been mm. but <laughs> I'm thinking about maybe like an anthology series like on a cable channel that how that showcases little known historical mm-hmm. figures like this like I want to see that, not just on the History Channel, because sometimes the History History Channel's good, but they be a little dry sometimes. I need mm-hmm. something. I need something with some oomph, some flavor. Not necessarily documentaries, but like something along the lines of a, like a biopic where you have actors playing real life historical figures. Give me that. Yeah. Give me yeah. a different episode each week. Let's do that. Who do I, Who can I pitch that to? I gotta know.
0: Uh, hmm. I've heard Stephen. Spielberg is a big fan of this podcast.
1: <laughs> Let's give him a ring-a-ding-ding after we
0: get done. We'll see yeah. what he says. Should be easy. I'm sure you know he's what? listed. I'm a, yeah, obviously. Just Here, let me <laughs> Google real quick. Steven Spielberg's
1: so. <laughs> Because the interweb is amazing. You can find anything on the interwebs. <laughs>
0: uh, right? <laughs>
1: Oh goodness gracious.
0: But yeah, I I know that was short, but I just think that dude is impressive. And he is. Even though there's not a lot out there, he's worth knowing about. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So, I like that. That is the short but important story of James Herman Banning. Hmm. Pioneer. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Write that down. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: So you said you had another figure that you wanted to talk about.
0: I do. Um, Her name is Ada Lois Spiel. I think I'm pronouncing that right.
1: Mm -hmm. Fisher,
0: um, after she got married. She is also a person with great testicular fortitude. (laughs) um full disclosure her son bruce works at the same museum i do
1: Mm. Bruce is a great
0: guy very knowledgeable i'm glad i work with him (laughs) good um one of the reasons i chose to talk about her is in our bonus episode coming up next monday uh dr bob blackburn mentions her so I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about her so that when you hear her name and her son, Bruce, you'll understand why when he mentions it, she's important. Hmm. So Ms. Fisher was born in 1924 and lived till 1995. She was a major Oklahoma civil rights activist. And she was born in Chickasha, Oklahoma. She was an excellent student and graduated from Lincoln High School in 1941 as the valid Victorian. Initially, she enrolled in Arkansas A&M College at Pine Bluff. And after one year, she transferred to Langston University Mm -hmm. in Oklahoma. It's not now, but it was a historically black college. Did I say that right?
1: I, I think it still is considered, well, yes. <clears throat> the, the acronym is HBCU,
0: Historically okay. Black
1: College and University.
0: Okay, yeah. thank you, thank you. I, mm-hmm. So much stuff in my brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so she transferred there, and she majored in English and dreamed of being a lawyer. On March 3rd, 1944, she married Warren Fisher, and on May 21st of 1945, she graduated from Langston with honors. Hmm however even in education at the time o- oklahoma was segregated and langston did not have a law school and state statutes prohibited blacks from attending white state universities instead oklahoma provided funding whereby they could go outside the state of oklahoma and attend law schools and graduate schools that accepted blacks
1: <clears throat> it's so shitty so. so extra, like, it's so extra, all the effort that was put into
0: excluding. In buttholes.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: I yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I've read that several times, and each time I'm just like, anyway. Yeah. At the urging of the NAACP. 21-year-old Fisher agreed to seek admission to the University of Oklahoma's law school in order to challenge Oklahoma's segregation laws and achieve her lifelong ambition of becoming a lawyer. On January 14, 1946, she applied for admission to the University of Oklahoma College of Law. After reviewing her credentials, the university's president, Dr. George Cross, advised her that there was no academic reason to reject her application for admission, but that Oklahoma statutes prohibited whites and blacks from attending classes together. The laws also made it a misdemeanor to instruct or attend classes compromised of mixed races. Cross would have been mm. fined up to $50 a day, and the white students who attended class with her would have been fined up to $20 a day. On April 6, 1946, with the support of civic leaders from across the state, Mrs. Fisher filed a lawsuit in the Cleveland County District Court prompting a three-year legal battle. A young attorney, Thurgood Marshall, mm. I think he might be slightly notable, I think so. Oh, yeah. See, right here. Later, a U.S. Supreme Court justice represented her.
1: That guy. Okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Turns out, same guy. Same guy. (laughs) She lost her case in the county district court and appealed to the Oklahoma Supreme Court. It sustained the ruling of the lower court, finding that the state's policy of segregating whites and blacks in education did not violate the United States Constitution. After an unfavorable ruling from the Oklahoma Supreme Court, Fisher filed an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. And on January 12, 1948, the nation's highest court ruled in Spiel versus the Board of Regents of the University of Oklahoma that Oklahoma must provide Fisher with the same opportunities for securing a legal education as it provided to other citizens of Oklahoma. The case was remanded to the Cleveland County District Court to carry out the ruling. Following the court's favorable ruling, the Oklahoma legislature, talk about extra, Mm. you're about to see. Rather than admit Fisher to the Oklahoma University Law School, decided to create a separate law school exclusively for her to attend. The new school, named Langston University School of Law, was thrown together in five days and set up at the, in the state's Capitol Senate rooms. Ms. Fisher refused to attend Langston University School of Law. And on March 15, 1948, her lawyers filed a motion in the Cleveland County District Court contending that Langston's law school did not afford the advantages of a legal education to blacks substantially equal to the education of whites received at OU's law school. This inequity, they argued, entitled Fisher to be admitted to the University of Oklahoma College of Law. However, not learning from the last time, the Cleveland court ruled against her, finding that the Two state law schools were equal. This next part's going to be a shocker. Okay, no, I'm sorry. They said it was equal
1: in terms of what?
0: I'm I'm assuming the level of education you could get in the classes. It doesn't. It didn't say <laughs> any further.
1: Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, no, I understand. And. <laughs> Once again, shocker! The Oklahoma Supreme Court upheld the finding. <gasps> Your heart can't handle all the shock of this episode.
1: It cannot. I, uh, I wish I would have brought an adult beverage in here right? with me because I just. Woo,
0: we oh. should have. We should have had an ambulance with a defibrillator standing by.
1: Something because this <laughs> is
0: defibrillator. Anyway. All
1: these things that are happening that shouldn't have happened. I just
0: i know shocking right golly gosh gee
1: okay sorry
0: (laughs) so after this second adverse ruling her lawyers announced once again their intention to appeal to the u.s supreme court however oklahoma attorney general Maxie williamson declined to return to dc and face the same nine supreme court justices In order to argue that Langson's law school was equal to OU, you know what? That's the first dude that learned something, (laughs) right? God,
1: (laughs) like every bit of this makes me itch. I can't stand it. Like finally, so like, pretty much, no, 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 no.
0: Wait a minute, like fuck (laughs) y'all. I'm tired of this.
1: Let her go to school. (laughs) Like pretty much, like just to stop, just stop. It's too much. Just even for you guys, this is too much. Just let it happen.
0: Yeah. So as a result of that concession on June eighteenth, nineteen forty nine, more than three years after Miss Fisher first applied for admission to the University of Oklahoma College of Law, she was admitted. Langston's (laughs) University's (laughs) Law School. You ready for this? Sitting down.
1: Mm-mm.
0: close twelve days later.
1: No kidding, right? Like when Shocker. you say when you say closed, do you mean they just closed the doors and removed the desks? Um, well, I mean
0: they didn't have to. It was at the Senate Chambers of the state capitol. Oh, it wasn't so they a real school. this. So yeah, just
1: they just pretty much you know cleared off that section. It just oh. went away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God.
0: Huh? <laughs> I can't stand it. Right. So <laughs> although Ms. Fisher was generally wel- welcomed by her white classmates, she was forced to sit in the back of the room behind a row of empty seats and a wooden railing with the sign designated colored. All Black students enrolled at the University of Oklahoma were provided separate eating facilities and restrooms separate reading sections in the library, and roped off stadium seats at the football games. These conditions persisted through 1950. However, the end of segregation and higher education had already begun. In 1948, a group of six Black Oklahomans applied to the University of Oklahoma's graduate schools in disciplines ranging from zoology to social work, all were denied admission under the same statute that denied admission to Fitcher. Fisher. People just don't learn. Thurgood Marshall selected one of the six students, George W. McLaurin, to present yet another challenge of segregation in higher education. On June 5, 1950, the U.S. Supreme Court decision in the case of McLaren versus Oklahoma State Regents, the court ruled that the restrictions of segregation imposed on McLaren at OU impaired and inhibited his ability to study. The decision meant that Blacks could no longer be segregated at OU and could now be admitted to graduate schools at all state-supported colleges and universities in the nation. The state soon realized that it could not create separate graduate programs for blacks, similar to the Sham Law School it had quickly invented for Ms. Fisher. In August of 52, Fisher graduated from the University of Oklahoma College of Law. She had earned a master's in history from the University of Oklahoma in 1968. And after briefly practicing law in Chickasha, Fisher joined the faculty at Langston University in 1957 and served as the chair of the Department of Social Sciences. She retired in December 1987 as an assistant vice president for academic affairs. And in 1991, the University of Oklahoma awarded Fisher an honorary doctorate of humane letters. Hmm. And... On April 22nd, 1992, Governor David Walters symbolically righted the wrongs of the past by appointing Dr. Fisher to the Board of Regents of the University of Oklahoma, the same school that it wants to admit her to her college of law. As the governor said during the ceremony, it was a completed cycle. So, uh, almost done here. The lady who was once rejected by the university was now a member of its governing board, and on October October 18th, 1995, Dr. Ada Lowe Speel Fisher died. In her honor, the University of Oklahoma subsequently dedicated the Ada Lowe Speel Garden Fisher Garden, sorry, Fisher Garden on the Norman campus. At the bottom of the bronze plaque commemorating her contribution to the state of Oklahoma, an inscription reads, in Psalm 918, the psalmist speaks of how stone that the builders once rejected becomes the cornerstone.
1: Huh. Hmm. Huh. <clears throat> that's interesting. That's,
0: that's a story. And do you know? Yeah, it's quite a tale. There's more. I know this because mm-hmm. her son Bruce told me. Uh huh. Many of her professors were part of the law team fighting. To prevent her from going to school. Yeah. I mean, at this point, is that really surprising?
1: No, not even a little bit. No, I'm sorry. Yes, it is. Oh. My God. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> that is it, that that's an incredible story. Yeah. That those are just those are the kind of stories that they
0: need to start teaching the middle school kids in Oklahoma mm-hmm. history. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So our son, Bruce, graduated from Langston, mm-hmm. and he was telling me, uh, well, I was, I was saying to him, I was like, I bet your mom didn't take a lot of flack from you. He said she had her moments. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when he was going to Langston, he took a class that she taught, and he said "I was like day one, day two, something in the class that she had asked a question and he knew the answer. And she called on him and he raised her hand and he went, Mom. And then he started, gave the answer. And when class ended, she looked at him, she was like, class dismissed. Except for you, Mr. Fisher, you need to stay. <laughs> and he said he thought, oh boy, <laughs> I stepped in it. <laughs> she informed him that while he was taking her class, she was not his mother. She was Mrs. Fisher. Indeed, that <laughs> he would refer to her as such,
1: <laughs> and I I understand that completely because she worked hard for that. You know what I mean?
0: <coughs> I don't know if "hard" is a strong enough term.
1: It's really not. In it reminds me, you know, um, talking about when we did last week's episode, how people end up fighting for the thing they want the most, Mm -hmm. which in her case was study law. Yep. And in doing so wittingly or unwittingly or however you want to put it, she managed to pave the way or help pave the way for others to come behind her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the cases that she was involved with and the way they made their, you know, the way cases made their way up the courts and the laws that got put in place as a result of these things Mm-hmm. made it easier for people to come for everyone behind else. Yeah. yeah.
0: And in a bit of, I don't know if it's irony or whatever, and I'm only mentioning it because it said that black students had their own section at the football stadium. Hmm. The university of Oklahoma was one of the first universities that would be considered Southern that embraced recruiting and giving scholarship to black athletes. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. But yeah, she's definitely a a person who had an internal fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I mm-hmm. and
1: that's again like putting it mildly like she knew what she wanted, and she was she was damned if she was mm-hmm. gonna let any of this stand in her way. You can't help but stand up and applaud that,
0: yeah. Honestly, I mean, let me honestly. see. There is a, it's either a autobiography. Or a biography, I'm not sure. There is a book written about her, and I should have not been a moron and had this pulled up ahead of time. Sorry, people, I should have been more prepared.
1: Mm, good. You okay. know, we, do some, we do some of this on the fly anyway. So. Right.
0: <laughs> uh, one of the books you can find on her is called A Matter of Black and White Autobiography at Ada Spiel Fisher," which was, uh, well, I guess doesn't matter who printed it and yeah, I think that's it. And then you can find lots of interviews um, with their son, Bruce. Mm-hmm. If you go to Oklahoma voices, Bruce Fisher, which is oral history, audio with transcript. And I think you can find that at the Oklahoma historical society website, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. and, there's another article written in the Oklahoma Law Review, Ada Lois, Spill Fisher, how a, I'm quoting, skinny little girl took on the University of Oklahoma and helped pave the road for Brown versus the Board of Education. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. So those are my folks for today. Important people Definitely. need to know about. And that's what I got
1: definitely very nice thank
0: you i, You're welcome. I, I enjoyed those very much yeah very much. it was fun um learning and reading about them of course i know a little more about miss fisher because i know bruce right and that's i find that
1: like an amazing connection that's just whew. yeah mm. like i wonder like when he was young i wondered did he ever stop and think does my mother get expect me to get involved in court I don't know I mean that's just uh, sometimes I think about that when you talk about the children of of, of people who do things like this how they I'm, I'm pretty sure for the most part they probably admire their parents very much but on the other hand I don't know does it feel like it might be intimidating if you don't do something at that level and I I want to say like Parents like these wouldn't put that kind of pressure on their kids.
0: I don't think she did. Bruce doesn't yeah. seem to yeah. act like she had yeah. at all. And one of the cool things about Bruce is at some point, I believe, in the nineties, maybe mid to late, um, he became a Civil War reenactor in Oklahoma. Oh. There's a one Civil War battle called the Battle of Honey Springs,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: there were Uh, black union soldiers that were there and every year they go and reenact the battle but they didn't have a, a black regiment and bruce became a part of the group that reenacted that every year when they went there
1: you know for the life of me as often as i've heard about civil war reenactments it never occurred to me that there might be black actors or black folks actually going in and getting involved in these reenactments
0: it just never occurred to me (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm glad I opened your eyes.
1: I mean, you, it seems like such an obvious thing, but no, I need to. I need to research that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when Honestly. I first got hired at the museum, all the reenactors were like, "Hey, do you want to join up, be a reenactor with us for you know Civil War stuff?" And I was like, well, "What do you do?" And they're like, "Well, we go out there, we." wear you wool uniforms sleep in period correct tents and march and yada 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 i was like no i was in the real army i spent plenty of time camping in the army to not do it for fun No, sorry now that i understand yeah now if i could be you know u.s grant I, i might consider it so then i get to smoke cigars and drink heavily
1: You don't want to be just one of those regular infantry men, though. I want to be in charge.
0: (laughs) I have to run things. (laughs) That's right.
1: Do you have Do you have one of those positions open? No.
0: No, No, I'm sorry. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't be a private. I can't do it. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was a private for real. I got to be at least a lieutenant colonel or higher if I'm pretending.
1: (laughs) I need. I need some of those. Those shoulder things with the tassels and whatnot. I need all the regalia. I need that. Yeah. I need that to get involved. Can you Can you promise me that? I, and I need it in writing. It, yeah, in writing. <laughs> and I need the best horse you can give me. That's right. <laughs> Even though I don't ride horses, I need the best horse you can give me.
0: That's right. I'll learn to ride the horse just so I can have some stars.
1: That's it. For that reason alone. And I want a big hat with... You know, one of those snappy hat bands and a feather in it. I don't care if the feather's inappropriate. I want it.
0: That's yeah. It. Yeah. No, still don't <laughs> want to. <laughs> I uh, got my fill of army camping in the army. Yeah. I got my fill of camping in Girl Scouts. Lord I knows. Know this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's no comparison. I know,
0: but. <laughs> We yeah. figured out the three years I was active duty at Fort Hood, I only actually lived at home for half of that. The rest of it, I was either in the field of Fort Hood doing 30 days at Fort in California, mm. 30 days at Fort Polk, Louisiana, which is one of the worst places on the planet, hmm. or Kuwait. You would huh. think that if given the choice between a school in the desert in California or Fort Polk that you'd want to go to Fort Polk? Nope. Fort Irwin is by far the better choice. Interesting. Fort Polk sucks.
1: Hmm, I'll take your word for it.
0: Horrifically.
1: I will take your word for it. I had fleeting thoughts a couple times in, in life about joining the military, and then I realized I don't like being told what to do.
0: That's a part.
1: So... I was They're like, keen on
0: telling you what to do. In the yeah.
1: Army. Yeah. You know, after I, you know, after I took the ASVAP and I did pretty well on that and then they were trying to hunt me down. I'm like, I don't know, fellas. I just don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But, yes, there's a very impressive stories. Can you, um, you said there was a, a memorial statue of Miss Fisher uh, at OU.
0: Mm-hmm. What was the inscription on that again? Uh, hang on. Let me pull up to go tablet here and it turned off in psalms 118 the psalmist speaks of how the stone that the builders once rejected becomes the cornerstone
1: is that psalms one and then one
0: eight- no as in 118 18. Yeah. okay sorry
1: yeah i wanted to make a note of that i found that interesting that that's that's what they used for her because it reminded me I don't know, have you ever heard of, uh, there's an animated series that they first had on uh, cartoon network, Adult Swim, called The Mm Big Docs?
0: I remember the show. Didn't watch it,
1: but I remember it. Uh, The first three seasons are classic. I don't care what anybody says. (laughs) But they had a very inventive theme song. And the first line was, I am the stone that the builder refused. Mm -hmm. That's what reminded me of that. I was like, wow. Yes, that's exactly what that was. She used all of that, all of that. Oh boy! So,
0: uh, real quick for mm-hmm. both Miss Fisher and Mister Banning, I used okhistory.org as a as a resource. They there's on there the Oklahoma Encyclopedia, and they both have entries, and that's what I used because I sort of be the was the most precise, you know, sort of thing for the time that I had, and. I'll post the link to the YouTube video I was talking about with the reenactors of Mr. Banning. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Okay. There's also a website, pioneersofflight.si.edu, and you can do a search for uh, James Herman Banning, and he'll pop up.
1: Okay.
0: And that leads to links of lots of other er early aviators, like uh, Bessie. Is that correct,
1: Jesse Coleman? Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, She's also in there. Yes, on that website. So
1: interesting. I'll have to look into that myself. Very nice. Yeah.
0: So I'll pass the ball back to you next next week.
1: Indeed, and I, even as we speak, I'm still bouncing back and forth between two figures. I think they have very important stories Okay. that, that you know, as, as all of these stories have been that definitely lend themselves to, to, some, to some aspect of, of American culture. So I'm bouncing back and forth between the two. And I think I'm running into the same thing that you are, that one of them I'm finding repetitive information on, but I think the mm-hmm. person is so interesting. So I'm going to keep digging.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And actually now I need to correct Time shifts when you're recording stuff for the next week sometimes Mm -hmm. confuses your brain. Yes. So we have an episode coming out uh, this Thursday, the bonus next Monday. This one is after the bonus, but you'll hear Dr. Bob talk about Ms. Fisher. Yes. And so now you'll know who she is four days later. Yes. Sometimes time shifts are hard to maintain.
1: (laughs) True. Ask the Avengers. Right. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I think this is this is an excellent, excellent discussion. I learned a lot. Yeah. Now I have I have four more things to dig into mm-hmm. in between digging in to other
0: things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And just throw this out here. Mm-hmm. Do you know who William Wilberforce is? And yes, that's his last name. No, the the last name sounds familiar because it sounds like it's it's lent to something. It is. um, They've actually made a movie about him. He was a um, member of the British Parliament that banned slavery in England. Okay. And I was thinking perhaps sometime in the future, down the road, March, April, he could be somebody that we could research and do a show on. That sounds interesting, yes. Because he hmm. was a man that fought for like 25 years to do it.
1: Oh
0: hmm. boy. He was a man possessed to end slavery in England, and he did it. <laughs> you cool out, to he be. did it.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, that that sounds very interesting. Yep. We definitely have to make a note on him.
0: Okay. Yeah. Plus, we get to say Wilberforce.
1: You know what? Now that you said that, and this is the part where I say we do things on the fly. Sometimes I want to say I don't know if it's related to him, but there is, yeah, Wilburforce University. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking about. Um, haha, it's one of the HBCUs. Oh. hmm Well, it's oh, it was one of the. It was the first college to be owned and operated by African
0: Americans. There you go. <laughs> I had no idea. But now th- he was this- a good person to name a university after.
1: Definitely. I don't know. I'll have to make a note. That may be a topic. Shh, don't tell nobody. Okay.
0: Right. So. <laughs> there we go. Live firing right here, just throwing stuff out. Amazing. Like how we do it.
1: <laughs> anyway, thank you guys for sticking with us through another episode. We hope you enjoyed. This one, um, I know I did. I learned a lot of good stuff. We hope you did mm-hmm. too. And of course, as each of us researches, you know, our given topics, whatever they may be, we also learn a lot. So we're enjoying yep. it. We hope you guys do too. So
0: yeah, I I love history. This has been fun learning about uh, the people I've researched, the people you've researched. It's been my pleasure to honor Black History Month. I know people say celebrate, but I feel it's more honor. Or at least for me.
1: Absolutely. And of
0: course, Black history is our history. Everyone's history.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But there's a special month. We're going to honor it. Absolutely. So
1: mm-hmm. I
0: guess we'll check you guys on the next one. Indeed. Everybody take care out there. It's nuts. True story.
1: Bye. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com slash Kenyatta dash Jack dash save dash the dash world or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at servicedogproject at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of HyperFocus Podcasts.